Welcome to Empowered Conversations. I'm your host, Susie Petrozzi. This podcast will take you on a journey of personal growth and self-discovery through conversations with special guests that will inspire you to live the life of your dreams. Get ready now for an Empowered Conversation. Welcome to my next guest, Natasha Dezil, who is a clinical psychologist currently working in private practice in the Blue Mountains. Natasha has a special interest in the ways in which our early attachment and life experiences influence and affect our brain, learning and subsequent emotional and psychological development. Natasha believes that healing is only made possible when individuals are able to develop and strengthen healthy attachment bonds, reparent themselves by becoming attuned and responsive to their own needs and by learning how to effectively meet and nurture those needs. Natasha, thank you so much for saying yes to having an empowered conversation. I'm so happy to be here with you, Susie. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. Well, first of all, I've known you for a long time. In fact, we go back as far as high school. and We do. (laughs) And what I do remember about you is there was always this kind of really deeper level of thinking and just uh yeah and a a real just a real connectedness to things um that's really always stayed with me and then we've reconnected um because we're both psychologists clinical psychs Mm And I've always enjoyed speaking to you about your own experiences, but tell me a little bit about how you um, became a psychologist. What led you to becoming one? Okay, so that's a really good question. I wish I could say to you it's a love story. You know, I woke up in the middle of a dream one night and I had a great epitome that this is what I would do with my life. Um, and in general, I have to say that this line of work, and you know this from your own experience, Susie, is a deeply sacred and meaningful line of work. Um, in a way, I don't feel that there's a, like a deeper honor than for somebody to share their deepest, darkest moments and life experiences with you in a way that often no one else does. And so I found this work deeply personal and um, extremely meaningful. And having said that, in terms of my journey there, um, I guess it happened on the backdrop of, you know, I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness. I was raised in a really uh, strict religious cult um, with not many freedoms, um, with a lot of guilt and coercion used in terms of getting you to behave. Um, and so on top of that, uh, the family environment was one of a lot of conflict and a lot of distress. My mother was really unwell. So from a very young age, I was sort of placed into a role where I had to take care of her and I had to play that role of mediator. And so I learned from a very, very, very young age how to be extremely attuned to the moods of other people and starting with my mother knowing what she needed and how I had to be and how I had to respond and being hyper vigilant around those cues. 
And so I got very good at that. I got very good at being empathic and attuned and hyper-vigilant around social cues and what people needed and how to take care of them and care about them. Mm. Um, so I get a lot of that feedback from my clients, like, how do you know what I need? You just say the right things. You make me feel so seen. You make me feel so heard. Um, you know, it's such a wonderful skill that you have. And although it's so lovely to hear that people feel that way and that I can hold space for them in that way, it's also come off the back of trauma in itself, you know, that these Mm. skills have come through a great deal of pain and self-sacrifice and of having to give up, you know, my own needs in order to be there for other people. Mm. Um, So fast forward this, this time, um, while I gain a lot from the work that I do and find it deeply rewarding and meaningful, I'm also starting to explore other areas at the moment that involve like a more playful side, a more like a, like a happy child side, um, which I'm really enjoying very much so. And how has that come to um, come to you? How have you uh, decided to explore that? I, and I'm curious to know, Natasha, what are some of those things? Because in the work that we do, it is yeah. so incredibly important to bring fun, um, mm-hmm. to allow ourselves to fun, have fun. I mean, I know even with sessions, you know, with clients to to bring some humour, to me that's important, not, not with everyone, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but how, yeah, you know, how are you bringing that now? Or how, how did that come to you, the need for that? I think... You know, in our line of work, we tend to come from backgrounds where we have an overinflated sense of responsibility in Mm. general and very serious. And, you know, we needed to be serious and we needed to be the caretakers and and so forth. Um, And something that, of course, is left behind in that process. And for a lot of clients that come from that trauma background and have depression and have anxiety, often they've never felt safe enough within their bodies to be present in your body. Yeah. And when we don't feel safe in our bodies to be here in this moment, we actually can't play. We actually can't be curious. We can't be creative. All of that gets blocked. And in fact, if you ask a lot of people who've come from trauma and are, you know, very perfectionistic and struggle with a lot of anxiety, when I ask them, you know, how often do you play? Uh, how often do you relax? How often do you take care of those needs where you're not being productive, where you're just being? Mm. A lot of them will say, never. I don't know how. In fact, the very thought of playing, of being creative makes me so anxious, I can't even think about it. And that has a lot to do with not having been safe enough within one's body to be able to go out and explore Mm. and to be creative. And so something that I find is very healing for people once we've done some of that heavier trauma work is to reconnect with those younger parts of themselves. So what we call in schema therapy, the happy child, Mm. um, which is linked to things like spontaneity, 
joy, playfulness, creativity, being in the moment, being so attuned to what you need and being autonomous. So turning away from our secure attachments to go and adventure and explore. Mm. And of course, I'm not referring to adventure in the grand scheme of traveling the whole world on your own, Mm. although it could be that, Um, but more just small little steps that encourage that part of you to feel safe again. And for me, that's always a marker that we've started to work through trauma. Yeah. Um, and so that, that playfulness can include anything. So creativity is about making something. It can be with our hands. It often involves the senses, so the full senses, something that we can see, hear, feel. We're often very much in the moment. So, you know, examples are playing music, Mm. drumming, uh, drawing, painting, singing, taking photos, uh, being in nature, touching things, exploring things and how they work, being curious and open-minded, making a mess. Mm -hmm. You know, all of those things are really lovely indications that people are coming in to and integrating all the parts of themselves. Mm, yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, when you speak to that and you, you, you say how, you share how it's so hard for those who um, are traumatised to be able to even think about exploring that because it makes them feel so unsafe. Um I, you know, there, there are people who we wouldn't typically think or people themselves may not necessarily think they're traumatized, but they're not quite willing to explore play because mm. of their own perfectionism or, you know, whatever the defenses may be. But the truth of yeah. the matter is, Natasha, and I'm curious to know what you, the truth of the matter from, you know, my deepest truth on this is that we are all traumatized in some way whether we meet a you know clinical diagnosis on or not or whatever that means you know really I mean that often just confines things in a very restrictive way Mm. but we really are you know um absolutely I mean for for a long time this is not to derail from what you're saying but I really want to bring a point home because you're talking about bodies being safe in our bodies Mm. up until maybe two years ago I didn't really realize that impact of trauma that I was carrying from having to come um, from leaving my my country. I grew up in Croatia coming here during the war, but I'm a Bosnian Serbian just to add a bit of color to the mix. Um, And, and, you know, whenever I talked about that time, what I noticed, well, I didn't notice it, but others, those close to me, those that um, were working with me, um, supervisors, mentors, that I would talk about that period very quickly. I sped mm. through. Yeah. Because there was a lot of deep hurt. There was, um, you know, there, there was trauma there. So coming yeah. back to what you're saying, to be in our bodies, to go out and play, um, you know, it is so crucial and, and in fact so crucial, especially in times like these. I wonder if you can say more about that, you know, now that we are in lockdown, um, 
how you know you've just shared some beautiful ways of how we can do that but can you just touch on that a little bit yeah sure um first of all i wanted to just acknowledge what you've just said Susie, and thank you for sharing i think you're so right and there's there's a psychologist i forget her name um she's just released a, a book that's number one in New York at the moment on, I think it's called Doing the Work. Mm. And she talks about how everyone is pretty much got trauma and she, she differentiates between big trauma, which is like, you know, that they witnessing the death of someone you love mm. and a one-off trauma versus what she calls those little, little T's or little traumas that are repeated over time, such as not getting our needs met, not having enough, enough nurturance and caregiving when we were little, those attachment injuries which over time mm. actually create wounds mm. that we all have, no matter how much yeah. we pretend that we're all okay and whatever, that we all share that part of our humanity. Mm. Um and so I think what COVID's done in this respect, we talk about trauma here, but one of the non-negotiable needs for human beings is the need for connection. Mm. The need for, um, you, you know, we have the need for independence and autonomy and mastery, and we've also got the need for dependency. And to be fully integrated, we need to meet both of those. Mm. And in a way, what COVID's really done is thrown a spanner in the works because it's impaired both of those needs. So it's become very difficult to feel like we're mastering things in our environment. A lot of us are out of work now. A lot of us are really struggling to find our identity where it's sort of locked in into our homes. And for the first time in our lives, a lot of us are confronted with ourselves Mm. Uh, the, the stuff that previously we'd sort of hidden and buried through productivity and busying ourselves. Yeah. And suddenly now, for a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us, we've got all of this time with nowhere to go except inside ourselves. And, of course, not being able to see our loved ones mm. and not being able to meet those needs and, and share as much as we really like to normally so that's been very challenging for a lot of people in terms of, you know, how can you bring this joyful stuff in right now? Um, I found that sometimes what works for me, and I can only speak for, I guess, what people are saying is working for them and, and what's working for me, is to have a little bit of structure in your day. Um, so, you know, starting with the adulting responsible stuff. So, you know, you know, I shower mm. at 8am, I set my alarm for 7.30, I have breakfast, I might do exercise, you know, for an hour. Mm. Um, and then I might do some work or I might play with my children. And then to structure a little bit of time every day or at least every other day, where you are incrementally exposing yourself a little bit more and more to things that are playful, mm. but perhaps not so overwhelming that you're like, oh my God, this is too hard. I can't even go there. I can't do it. So it could be something small like a structured 
activity um, that could be a paint-by-number, for example, mm. for people who are really anxious about trying their hand at their creative arts. It could be a paint-by-number mm. or paper art or, or taking a few photos in their backyard. Um, it could be learning how to play a musical instrument through an app. But keeping those periods, I think, very short at first is key because for a lot of people, yeah. they can find it really stressful because it brings up all of that mm. stuff around not having been safe enough in their bodies to relax. Yeah. Um, so those sorts of things are really good ways to start. And then once you build that confidence and that curiosity around exploring and allowing yourself to make a mess. Mm. That's, that's a big one, Natasha. That is such yeah. a big one. Allowing ourselves to make a mess. <laughs> Absolutely. So for, <laughs> for me, for example, with my art, because it's a thing in progress, um, I have three art books. One is for making an absolute mess and not worrying at all about making mistakes and just putting down ideas mm. right, in whatever form they come. Yeah. And then I have a book which is like an intermediary between the making a real mess and mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what it looks like and the other book which is to satisfy the perfectionist, right? Because the perfectionist <sighs> part of us needs it to look good. It has <laughs> to be right. <laughs> so you've got to give it some outlet some of the time. Yeah. Right? So I have that, and in the middle is the middle ground. So in the middle I might join the two, like piece some ideas Mm. that are messy with some concepts that are perhaps a little bit more structured, Mm. Um, like colours, like what colours do I want to use? What colours appeal to me? And, And doing a little swatch experiment of, you know, let's say different textures of paint or different textures of watercolours. Mm. Um, I find that that works for me, you know, like having a book where you just rough it up, it doesn't matter, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that's important. Thank you for I really, I really appreciate you sharing those ideas around, you know, how do we find that playfulness or how do we explore it during times mm-hmm. like the lockdown? And, you know, it's interesting how how you talk about structure, you know, the, the, the essential adult things, you know, sticking to those, getting up, alarm, going for a walk, mm. which is all something that I put in place. And then I find for me personally, you know, maybe things get a little bit lost because I'm interrupted. I've got two kids in mm. primary school. But what's, what's essential that you mentioned is – um, small, you know, mm. it's small, starting small. Yeah. So I have an idea that I want to do this lesson as part of my art journaling, which side note, you've inspired me on the journey. Um, but, but in my head, it's interesting. I haven't broken it down because it's like, when am I going to get to that part so I can finish it? Mm, and I really right. want to thank you for sharing those ideas because they are so important. Yeah. Yeah, mm. I think that sometimes we can get so black and white. Like if I start this thing, I have to finish it. Yeah. Or if I start this thing, it's got to be perfect. Or if I start, I have to be able to do it one hour a day or, you know, like what's the point? Mm. I'm like the point is that we're practicing showing up in our bodies 
living, coming, like feeding that that child part that needs those things. Those things are also not negotiable. You know, even like being in nature for a short period of time, just Mm -hmm. we're allowed to go for walks. And, you know, I'm very lucky being in the Blue Mountains. I literally have the mountains on my doorstep. Mm. Um, so I can just leave my house and go down the road and I'm in nature with waterfalls and, you know, I can immerse myself in that and that's so restorative. But even being able to, you know, do a walk around the block, you know, taking the dog for a walk, um, small baby steps, if there's something that you're curious about, perhaps you've always wondered how to make sourdough bread, you know, and maybe now's a really good time to, you know, experiment with cooking if, if that's your thing or um, restoring furniture. I mean, the list is endless, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's whatever your mind can come up with, mm. the willingness to be vulnerable and take risks. Mm. I think it requires a great deal of vulnerability, to to allow yourself to experience joy and mm. play it really does it's yeah you know you go back to those two things that you said it does require a great deal of vulnerability and then you said um that we have to practice showing up in our bodies like that's that's just like that's just I don't know that when you said that something just landed it's like boom you know yeah. um, and it could be that I'm hearing it differently because I'm this is something I continue to practice um, but I want to go yeah. back given what what I've just emphasized on I want to go back to then your own journey a little bit in terms of how you continue to practice showing up in your body because you know if we look at, if we look at staying with what you shared about your own um, childhood, growing up, being the responsible one, catering to others, attending to others' needs, being so um, extremely attuned to other people's needs. Mm-hmm. You know, what was the cost of this? Because there's always there's always a benefit to that, you know, the light, mm-hmm. the shadow, but there's always the, um, the shadow aspect of that. How did that mm-hmm. cost you? What did that do to your own life and how were you able to... Um, I suppose, overcome that, work on that, continue to work on that? That's such a good question, Susie, and I have to say, if I'm completely being honest and vulnerable, that this is a work in progress. I'm not there yet, um, but it's evolving. And I think that if I could answer that question as honestly as I can, I would say that the cost of having to be hypervigilant and attuned to somebody else's needs for the majority of my life is that I have largely travelled through life in a detached body, mm. um, a, a numbing of sorts or, or, or maybe perhaps what people would describe as depression, um, probably not like a clinical type of depression, mm. but a low-grade feeling of nothingness, of of an emptiness, Mm. uh, of course, which comes from chronic self-abandonment, you know, um, because to feel alive in our bodies, we have to do the opposite of that. We have to build self-trust. We have to move towards the self. We have to choose and keep choosing ourselves all of the time. Mm. And so in a way, 
the cost of doing this all of the time is that it has an effect of dulling and it's different for different people. For me, it was that I was in a detached body, a feeling of numbness, a feeling of Mm. not being motivated or not feeling connected to myself or anybody around me. Um, And I think that started to change. Obviously, as a psychologist, you know, we do our own work or a lot of us do the work as well. And so it was by doing the work to unfreeze myself to, I think that the term is thawing, you know, when we thaw, Mm. we allow ourselves to unfreeze by working through the injuries and the traumas and how that's impacted on us. Um, and I think schema therapy was very powerful for me in doing that, Mm. but so was a lot of the mind and body work, you know, noticing how you feel in your body, noticing what you need. And it was in noticing what I needed and starting to pay attention to that little vulnerable child that was saying, Hey, I'm being ignored. Are you ever going to take care of me? Mm. (laughs) Um, that I was able to respond to that part of me. And in responding to that part of me, I have been unthawing. I have been unfreezing from my reptilian brain, Mm. my trauma brain, and becoming more and more alive and more and more curious and allowing myself to experience joy and receive it. Mm. And to participate in things that bring me joy. Yeah. Yeah. And hence the moving into that aspect, I think, for me, of moving away from that strict clinical, you know, treatment approach to opening up to perhaps art therapy and um, creative pursuits for me, like following those. Like I've written a book I've just started writing a book about um, a children's book about a a little girl who's sensitive and um, other people call her too sensitive and uh, reject her and exclude her and think she's too much. And so to fit in, she starts to abandon herself. And of course, she starts to die. Mm. Everything that she used to be passionate about and, you know, curious about and all that starts to die and and her world starts to fade and of course it's about the journey back to herself back to that Mm. sensitivity and coming alive again and trusting her intuition and trusting that she's not too much at all in fact she's just perfect (laughs) Um, beautiful Yeah. yeah so those sorts of things I think are really really healing and helpful Mm. Tell me, Natasha, tell me more about the book. Is this something that is readily available or is this something you've written? I mean, is this publicly available? Not yet, um, but it is written. Mm. So it's in the process of um, being looked at at the moment. So edited, you know, like, you know, all that process that you have to go through. But I absolutely adored writing the book and, (laughs) and it was so powerful and the feedback that I've had is, oh, my goodness, 
Wow. You know, I was that sensitive child. I was the mm. child that was told they were too much. and Or or parents saying to me, oh, my God, that's my child. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. like that book would be so helpful for my child who yeah. is, you know, being told they're too much at school and yeah. they're, they're starting to feel really defective and broken in this world. Mm. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, no, that is the most beautiful part of who they are. Mm. They're the closest to our truth. Those children, mm. that's the closest to our truth that we'll ever get. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Wow. I mean, we, we oh, thank you for sharing that you really, um, you, you really, um, you help me envisage, you know, what is possible and you help all of us, I hope, listeners, envisage what is po- possible through the beautiful language that you use, really emotive language. I mean, you really draw me into the experience of something and I can just imagine what this book is like. I mean, I know that art has played a really big role in your life. And now you're looking at how you can use that then to help others as you embark on 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 this journey further. So yeah. with that, I would like to know, um, you know, as you and, and I also just want to acknowledge, you know, it's that that how you shared so beautifully that we're, you know, we're continually learning, we're continually growing, you know, that mm. it's not about um Okay, so once, even though we want it to be that way, <laughs> once <laughs> yeah, I've dealt with that, that's it. Because, <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll know, I have noticed this in myself, but perhaps I'm kind of just surrendering more because I'm, I, I'm, I know that there's more to come. So long as mm. I'm alive and here, there will be more to work through. But mm. a lot of my clients will say, even new clients will say, but I thought, thought I dealt with that. It's like, so let's look at this as a gift of the next, you know, level of that next opening, that next revelation of who you really are through this. Um, And I love that you, you know, you're so open and um, attuned to that process and, Mm. you know, so vulnerably because I feel that we are being taken to that place much deeper, particularly during the pandemic and as a result of the pandemic, despite, mm-hmm. um, you know, despite um, loss of social connection in the way that we used to know it and perhaps that autonomy um, and so many other things, what I have noticed, certainly myself, is I, I really cannot bury things in the way that maybe I did, that I am much more open about my own vulnerability Um, when I share with others um, it doesn't matter who they are as long as the connection and the conversation is open and you know there's there's a real um, um, it's it's appropriate for that so I'm I envisage and I hope that there's more of that um, through these times that we can reach out maybe there's a push to reach out on a deeper level what are your thoughts on that Natasha I think that you're right, Susie, and I love that about you. I find you to be such an open person who is really transparent and honest about who she is and you have so much integrity in what you do and, and there's no wonder that people are drawn to you and feel really safe with you because I think that you have an amazing ability to do that. 
And um, I, I agree that there is a move, uh, a, a global movement. I mean, sometimes I do feel a bit of despair about the world and, you know, when, when you put on the news and you hear about all of these divisions and mm. and conflict, it can be really easy to really feel down about that. Um, mm. But I also feel that there's a movement, a global movement towards this willingness to be more vulnerable, to do the work, to be, to take responsibility, to connect and care about each other and to open our hearts to that compassion. And I think for me, I have like this vision of a collective healing in which people come out of their unconscious and frozen states and comas, so to speak, and really come back into their bodies and their needs and feel safe enough to reach out and connect authentically first with themselves and allow themselves to be truly seen and heard. And then, of course, to be able to come out and do that with others, to come out and play with one another as we did as children. Mm-hmm. You know, before we had judgment and prejudices um, and and before we developed this shame response, we were so inclusive. Our natural state is to include and to be expansive and to love and to connect with one another and to do that quite effortlessly at the source of who we are mm. um, because I guess it's in that capacity to do that that we start to experience joy and creativity and that we become receptive we become receptive to learning to change Mm. to growth to being truly present so this whole mindfulness practice movement about not only being in our bodies but being able to observe ourselves and respond to ourselves with compassion instead of shame and condemnation, which is our go-to. We tend to shame and condemn Mm. anything that isn't accepted in our culture. And and I find that in our culture, what tends to be revered and idealized is independence and being needless and Mm. autonomy over and above our need for connection. And so a lot of people will pretend or deny or Mm. repress or avoid the fact that at times they feel insecure or that they feel jealous or that they feel needy Mm. or that they want companionship. And I want to let the world know that it's normal to have those fears and concerns and that that's part of our humanness. And to to stop that shame, we need to have conversations around those parts of us that are full of shame. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make, am I making sense or am I just like too? You are totally. Yeah. No, no, no. There's, there's a real, you're really grabbing hold of what we don't want to grab hold of. Yeah, you're really speaking to that, which we as a society, culture, world um, run away from. Yeah, speaking to that part of us. And, you know, as you were saying that, my, 
I, I could, because I connect to the essence where that's coming from and it's coming from the core of your being and that just fills me with tears of joy because whilst that's not something that necessarily we see unfolding before our eyes right now at the moment, mm. I don't just have hope for that. I do see that happening and I suppose it's like with anything else, the more that we pay attention to having to do um, our work, having to be responsible, having to really speak to those parts of us that carry shame, the more we can free ourselves, but through that help others do the same. So yeah, yeah. it absolutely, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's beyond making self sense. Sorry. It's, it's a real felt, um, you know, it's a real felt kind of experience when you share that. And I want to acknowledge you in speaking so deeply about that and so openly um, and being so inclusive. It's we, it's not you and I being the psychologists. It is we are all going through this. And the more that we can, um, the more that we can connect to that, the more that we can play and you know, playfulness is our birthright, you know? Mm, yeah. So, Natasha, yeah. this has been like a wow. <laughs> I can keep – I can really um, – I can continue this conversation in so many different um, angles and so many different directions. Where I'm taken to is, um, I guess, to, to finish up on is – you, you've shared with me your vision, yeah. You've shared mm-hmm. with me what you what you see, what your vision is, and how do you? How are you going to? Um, I suppose work towards that. What do you see yourself doing to help be part of that change? Sure, that's, that's a really good question too. And I guess that part is still evolving. This is a recent sort of. Um, evolution for me at the moment in terms of, okay, well, what am I going to do with this in, in terms of the playfulness and the, and the creativity and the joy and then the lighthearted aspects. And I think it's also very privileged. And I, and I want to say that because it's important to acknowledge it's a very privileged position to say, okay, let's now look at playfulness and creativity and relaxation uh, because a lot of people are in trauma and they're just surviving. Mm. Um, so I think that I, I guess the aim is once that trauma is treated and the person is in a place where they can now start to explore um, parts that they never got to explore, the, the, the more joyful parts of who they are, um, what I envisage is, uh, first of all, using mediums such as I'm doing a diploma at the moment in art therapy um, because I find that art therapy actually is able to access a part of the emotions and behaviours and needs of individuals that are unconscious and often unconscious to them and so accessible and it's nonverbal. And it's just so powerful what a client tends to put in a drawing or on a piece of paper in their artwork. And they're blown away. Like they're much more blown away with an art therapy session than they often would be in a talking session. 
Mm. Um, and that change is very deep and powerful. Um, but in terms of the, the less serious aspect of this, I'd love to be able to, you know, run retreats where people come to play. Um, and that can include, you know, a combination of uh, cooking in a foreign country and learning culinary skills in someone's backyard from, let's say, Mexico, uh, attending the Festival of the Dead and dressing up in costumes, learning specific artwork from that particular place or country, um, sharing skills and, and creative play with members of that group and sharing as well intimate moments that build friendship and connection. Um, you know, going on hikes, going into nature together, creating memories that when people will look back on their life, they'll say, I felt really good in that moment. I remember feeling happy and I remember playing and I remember that I was able to access a part of me that I hadn't in a really long time. Um, I think something like that would be nice. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah Creating good memories yeah. so that when we're 80 and 90 and we're looking back on our very heavy lives, especially through the pandemic, mm. we're going, yeah, and I also yeah. grew and I also loved these moments and look at what I learned about myself in that process. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. It puts puts um, puts a smile on my face, and you know, it connects me to this beautiful place of joy. You know, um, thank mm. you for being who you are. Thank you for learning what you've learned, given what you've gone through, given the difficulties um, that you've gone through. Um, and thank you for helping the world through your own journey, Natasha. You are just an amazing human being. And thank you for being here today. Oh, thank you for holding space. Thanks for joining me today on Empowered Conversations. Subscribe to the show now and then head over to my Facebook page, Susie Petrozzi, for free personal growth and self-discovery tools that you can use today to be present, be powerful and be on purpose. See you next time for Empowered Conversations. Empowered Conversations.